Hi, this is Jim Durkin. This week's episode is part two of our Mule Deer series, and our guest is Rob Shaw. Rob has been on the show before with Matt, dating back to episode two. So if you haven't listened to that episode with Rob, I highly suggest you you go back and, and check it out. Rob is a lifelong resident of Wyoming and has spent his life hunting mule deer there. He's also the founder of Mountain Pursuit. If you've listened to part one of this mule deer series with Brian LaTurner, you're going to hear some reoccurring themes here, which is no surprise. However, with Rob, he puts a little bit more emphasis on the impacts to mule deer from the influencers in social media. We recorded this episode back in spring as the West was getting pounded with snow. For some areas of Wyoming, it will go down as the worst winter in the modern era as it pertains to mule deer mortality. This is coming after severe winters in 16 and 17, 18 and 19. You'll hear us talk about Western Wyoming and how great the mule deer hunting is there. But this area has lost over 50% of its bucks and does and 100% of its fawns. Again, 100% of its fawns. And this data is not comprehensive. It could be worse. At any rate, like I've said before, my goal in recording these episodes is to bring this topic to front and center, and hopefully more attention is given to mule deer conservation. Thanks for listening. This is The Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Rob Shaw, how you doing, man? Jim, doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad you can join me. Uh, let's talk mule deer, man. I'm, yeah, I'm ass- go ahead. I'm assuming as as a Wyoming lifelong Wyoming resident, you're a avid mule deer hunter. You know, uh, um, I wouldn't say I'm an avid mule deer hunter. Um, what is really interesting about here in the West, and uh, and we've kind of seen it here, probably say the last, I don't know, twenty years or so, where um, a big mule deer has become almost it probably is more coveted than a big royal elk um, here in in uh, in the West, and especially in in Wyoming, not only by um, you know, local residents, but also people who come just to hunt, hunt those deer. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, um, trophy hunter guy like that. Um, not because I'm against that. I'm just, a, I'm just not talented enough and I don't have enough patience to, to, uh, to chase those big animals. But, uh, yeah, there's, uh, my, my house is actually right on the, uh, the Northern edge of, um, the, um, summer range for the Wyoming mule deer herd, which is just known for having incredible uh, genetics and producing big deer. And, um, and it gets hit, Wyoming range gets hit hard every, every uh, fall by mule deer hunters hoping to get one of these big monster bucks. Um, So, and in fact, uh, what we've also seen is just the uh, coming on of websites and forums 
and and folks and companies just focused on mule deer um, hunting. You know, there's there's a company called Muley Freaks. There's a, a nonprofit in Wyoming called Muley Fanatics. Um, and uh, you're not talking so, about the Muley Freak that just got busted for poaching, are you? Uh, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Uh, there's a he. Uh, but he had a, he had a company he sold like uh, mino harnesses and stuff. I, could be that. Could be that guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we we had a situation here in Wyoming where there's actually been a couple of laws passed, uh, but there were actual people who will take and they will scout these deer in the summer and then sell the GPS locations to um, out-of-state people coming to hunt them. Because um, a lot of times it's the deer will be in these basins and they'll stay there. Um, uh, we've had, uh, and one of the interesting things about the, some of the uh, outfitters uh, who work in the Wyoming range or in, and in Wyoming general, you know, call these guys just the muley freaks or the crazies. And uh, there's and back in the day, you can find from the 80s um, where um, uh, some of the wildlife films would go out and they just film these big buck deer on the winter ranges. Just are huge antlers. And there was uh, there's actually <clears throat> there's some of the bucks actually had names like Popeye. And, and there were just these big, huge monster bucks and guys that follow them in the spring and the end of the end of the winter. And watch for them to drop their antlers, and then they would take and mount those antlers on, you know, another head, and sell it for thousands of dollars. And so this thing with mule deer has been going on for a long time, and it's just getting more and more intense. And so it's a it's a whole different. Um, I mean, and and, uh, and again, I mean there there are many uh, many hunters, really good hunters. In fact, some of the best hunters in in the country, you know, come and, and chase these deer in Wyoming because of the genetics and, and, uh, in certain areas are pretty easy to see, you know, you get up early in the morning and they, they kind of stand out. And so they're relatively easy to spot and stalk. One of the uh, disturbing things that has happened is long range hunting has kind of found these deer now. And, uh, in certain places there in Western Wyoming, um, the big open basins guys are, you know, taking thousand yard shots at these big deer and outfitters are catering to those, you know, there's outfitting companies that cater just for long range hunters. There's a lot of unethical stuff that goes on. Yeah. I did a podcast with Joseph Von Benedict specifically uh, on the ethics and long range. And we talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. So that uh, from the hunting perspective, again, the, the pressure and the attention is, is more more and more all the time especially on the big deer and uh, and part of that is driven it's just kind of always been there at least for 20 30 years websites and youtube videos and hunting forums have accelerated that and then on the other hand in wyoming we are seeing a pretty significant crash in mule deer numbers and uh, last year about this time in june late May, June, every year that the Game Fish Department comes out with what they call a job completion boards. And they they take a look at the, the populations across. And so this would have been 20, this was released in 22, would have been for those numbers. But last year, overall, statewide, the mule deer population in Wyoming, statewide is down 
30 uh, or is uh, 38%, 39% below population objective, which is a significant number. Yeah. And it had dropped 10% just in a year. And 32 of the uh, um, 33 herd units were below population objectives. Um, so mule deer in Wyoming have just been seeing a fairly steady and accelerating decline. And the game and fish doesn't quite know why. Um, part of it has to do with um, harsh winters. You know, like every three or four years, we get a really big winter. And sometimes you don't even need a big winter. You just need a, you know, a, a snowy cold spring and some wet storms of spring, which will kill a bunch of fawns. Um, drought is an issue. Oil and gas development on uh, winter range is an issue, especially in western Wyoming. Um, and then uh, they always kind of put a little blame on predators. Um, but uh, uh, CWD or chronic wasting disease is taking some of them. Anyway, I think the I think build your numbers across the west are down. I can't speak to other states, but Wyoming is, is significantly having an issue right now. Yeah, that, there's a theme from from all the people that I've talked to about mule deer and mule deer numbers. There's a theme that the numbers are declining throughout the West. Some in some places more so than others. The interest in mule deer hunting is gone up from residents moving to the West and then non-residents traveling out West. And the resource just can't simply handle, handle the, the decline and the, uh, the increased hunting pressure. Yeah, you know, I uh, one of my first uh, experiences bow hunting uh, was probably my, my first year. I've I've been hunting for <laughs> you know 30, 40 years, but I'm a relatively new bow hunter. And uh, you know, I went in this basin and scouted these basins uh, you know, all summer long, nobody up there. And then the first you know day of bow season, there were thirteen or fourteen hunters in just this one basin I was in, and um, it was like combat bow hunting. And so I knew something was up then, you know, with uh, with the bow hunting these deer, and the interest is up. And uh, in fact, um, here this last year, some of the um, Wyoming range um, and Western Wyoming outfitters approached the Game and Fish with their concerns about um, mule deer. And uh, we just had a recently a Wyoming Wildlife uh, Task Force, and one of the recommendations came out of that was to. I think one of the recommendations, or they discussed it, I don't think it quite made the recommendation, but was to eliminate all or, or not allow any more does to be killed. Um, so, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of concern here locally about it. Do residents kill doe? No, most most places you can't, but there are some places in uh, in certain herd units where it's allowed, um, but they just wanted to make it, you know, not allowed, period. One of the, one of the other causes of perhaps a mule deer declines is competition from elk um statewide in wyoming all of our herds are down except our elk herds and the elk herds elk are for whatever reason doing well and uh and there might be some idea that you know, elk are out competing uh, deer and uh, that might be also uh, leading to some of those declines so um yeah it's, it's an interesting situation going on for sure when you were a kid, did you see non-residents while you were hunting? Yeah, we always had, you know, non-residents uh, coming around. Um, we just don't remember 
the intensity of of the non-residents like there are now um one of the one of the differences with mule deer especially chasing these big deer is that again some of the best hunters in the in the country are coming there so these are guys are you know deep in the back country and that's one of the things that has really changed with the the social media influencers and all the you know the self-promoters and all the education and everything else that has come along um, in terms of how to hunt you know in the back country so it used to be fairly easy to get out you know away from the trail away from the roads and escape the crowds but again where i was hunting um even now you know you go up hunting and, and you're back you're back there five ten miles i was back uh, again this year i was probably back um seven miles and the place was just full of uh um hunters a lot of out-of-state hunters horseback and, and also some backpacking in who were hunting these deer so that's one of the things that's changed maybe the numbers of, of non-residents has not necessarily increased um but um they're better hunters and they're getting back further so the places the uh, residents used to be able to go to get away from the crowds it's just not possible anymore they're, they're everywhere yeah we talked about that with another guest that People simply aren't as intimidated at getting in the backcountry. There's little fear of, of being lost if you if you're somewhat technically inclined. You know, GPS are common. Onyx mapping, you could have it on your phone. There's in reach. There's all sorts of support mechanisms that simply allow people to go further without that intimidation factor and and be more successful while doing it. Yeah, this. I think that's a key point is just the technology. You know, I think that, I mean, I remember when Sitka came out with the, you know, when Sitka was first formed, you know, Sitka, Sitka gear and how that started putting attention on backcountry hunting as its own kind of clothing category. And then along with that came the other companies. And, and then of course the, the mapping um, services uh, do make it so that you really don't need to worry too much about getting lost now. Anybody get on there and, and then Google Earth. I mean, there's lots of things that are working together. Um, one of the one of the concerns we've had about um, the deer is that they really don't get a chance. So you've got you know people back there scouting them. So for example, let's say you like you're from Pennsylvania and you you know finally get a tag. It takes you know, six, seven years to get a tag now um, for out of state and you want to get a big deer. So you come out to Wyoming, you know, for a week in the middle of the summer to, or July or whatever to do scouting and there'll be other people up there. And so the deer really don't get a break. And then come hunting season, you'll come and you'll hunker down for two weeks. And uh, so the deer are kind of bothered from, you know, all summer during hunting season course and then on the winter ranges as people take pictures of them and scout them and look at their antlers in the winter ranges. I drew a, a mule deer tag a couple of years ago in Colorado that took me 10 years to draw. And when I was talking to one of the biologists, he had mentioned something in, to the effects of the uh, recreational impacts are so severe on fawns that they're studying how significant the mortality rate is just from non-consumptive use so people biking hiking all that yeah. stuff that that's much more of a concern in colorado and i have heard that as well for colorado just because that state has grown so much um and i, I think that we've seen in, in terms of backcountry hunting 
has definitely extended to these other sports, you know, like uh, bike packing never used to be a sport. Uh, mountain biking um, now with bikes and especially people poaching with electric bikes are getting back there. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's actually a, uh, now there's a hundred mile ultra, which runs through the middle of the, you know, the uh, Wyoming range, you know, in the middle of the summer. Um, so I think, I think that is a, a good thing uh, or a, a key point is that the technology that has helped hunters get into the backcountry who maybe had not been intimidated before has also helped other recreationists and and all of that impacts the deer for sure at what point in your life did it dawn on you like this is crazy what i, I would it would it would have been uh for me it would have been early 2000s uh, when uh um i uh actually um had looked into the story of Popeye, which was this deer um, in the Wyoming, which is a famous deer with huge antlers. And this one, and this one local guy who had, I think he had collected several sets of the sheds from this deer and, uh, and uh, you know, I had sold them. And, and then I, and then soon after that, uh, a couple books came out from some guys out of big piney or a guy out of big piney, Wyoming, and about how to hunt big, big deer. This is all with rifles um, before kind of bow hunting got big. And so it kind of got on my radar then. Um, um, and I think it's just kind of accelerated, you know, from that point on. And again, uh, many hunters um, in in the West and, and I guess big game hunters in general really covet a, a big deer even more than they do a big elk in terms of, you know, a prize or a trophy. Oh, yeah. They say, uh, you know, Boone and Crockett mule deer is one of the hardest animals to get, even harder than than a sheep or or something that's pe- perceived as being difficult. Yeah, you know, I don't, I can't speak necessarily to to that, but uh, it certainly is easier to get a you know mule deer tag than it is a sheep tag, right? You know, so in, in Wyoming, I mean, it takes a resident. 19 plus years to get a sheep tag you know if you keep on putting in um so and uh you know we can right now for some places we can hunt big deer every year and with the, with a general tag but my sense is that in certain parts of the state uh, there's going to be a push by resident hunters to go to you know some type of limited quota system um where you have to put in for it we'll see if that happens um but if the deer numbers keep declining it's going to have to happen yeah, the the unit I hunted Wyoming in 2011 and the unit I hunted it took I think it was either 0 or 1 point for a deer and it was definitely 0 for antelope and there were leftover antelope tags. I know that because we got a couple doe tags and I we theoretically could have gotten a second buck tag and now that unit is three or four years for deer and three years for antelope so just in you know just a little over a decade it's changed pretty significantly yeah and again i think two things are driving that Uh, uh, of course from the non-resident side more and more non-residents are applying for tags because of the social media influencers and and the push and the change in hunting and especially western Western state hunting. 
Um, but again, you know, especially states like Colorado and more and more in Wyoming where people are moving there just to hunt. So there's more local hunters, and especially those, if you're moving to, to hunt in Wyoming, you're, you're probably a pretty good hunter. <laughs> and so you're in the backcountry chasing. So, and, and definitely for sure that the drop periods and the point creep is moving up. And of course, all that is squeezed. The fewer, the fewer animals you are, um, you know, the fewer tags, the game and fish issues. And therefore, it's harder to get those tags. So all that is kind of squeezing in hunting opportunities. How bad do you think the resistance will be if you go to a um, if you go to a resident draw system? Because I remember I was living in Alaska when Colorado did it. And this guy was up there working in our office seasonally from Colorado. And when they made that announcement, he, he lost his mind. <laughs> well, we already have, uh, some, uh, meal deer units are limited draw. Um, and some seasons are limited draw. So uh, that's established. Uh, most mule deer are, are still general tags, but, you know, I think that, um, honestly, amongst the hunting community, there's so much concern. And this is this is by resident hunters about these declining deer numbers. I don't I can't speak for sure. But if it got to the point where the numbers were that low, um, I think, uh, you know, the hunters, resident hunters would welcome that. But like quote, just to uh, protect the animals, protect the resource. But, but for example, like you like it, Region G, it's no secret. Region G has been a great unit for years it takes me i don't know it would take me nine points to draw a mule deer tag and you could get it year after year over the counter correct right yep right now so you know it takes a non-resident nine years to get and residents unlimited could could get that tag and go there yeah Um, I don't know if you you're trying to make me feel sorry for non-residents. I don't, so <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, I I I don't want to go down that road. I mean, I I understand where you're coming from, um, but there's a lot of uh, you know federal land that we all pay for. So, but I I get it. If if there was an influx of people coming to Pennsylvania that I was competing with. I'd probably have your same view, so I'm not knocking you for it. Again, I think that uh, you know one of the one of the things in, in terms of Wyoming is, and we've we made a pretty big deal about this when it occurred. This is really an interesting element of Wyoming politics and the influence of the ranching and the oil and gas industry. So Wyoming actually has pioneered migration corridor identification and tracking. You know, some of the first GPS movements and first migration corridors in the West were found in Wyoming and developed right in Western Wyoming where, you know, where I live. Um, And it was part of uh, um, just, uh, you know, some of the longest um, migrations for ungulates uh, in the lower 48 are in in Wyoming, Um, especially the Sublet Pronghorn herd. And... uh, and so the pronghorn and, and the deer were tracked. And as part of that, the idea was to identify migration corridors and then obviously um, ultimately um, protect those. So in 2018 it's, or 19, it's, it's been a while, 
um, the Game and Fish was ready to identify or designate two migration corridors. One was a Wyoming Range mule deer, and the other was a uh, sublet pronghorn herd. And um, the Wyoming Stock Growers Association and the Wyoming Petroleum Association sent a letter to the governor and asked him to hold back on that, um, on that designation. Even though the data was, you know, they just got in the eyes across the T's for the data to designate these corridors. And the, the ranchers and the uh, um, petroleum uh, oil and gas guys, they were rightly concerned about what would be the impacts when this got designated. In other words, what would be the restrictions that could possibly come down, whether it be restrictions on development, requirement for wildlife family fences. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that has been proven is that oil and gas development in the winter ranges for the Wyoming mule deer um, or Region G um, has um, has impacted their numbers for sure. Um, anyway, the governor ended up signing executive order. The governor, Wyoming, the current governor, and took the decision making for designation away from the game and fish and put it solely in his hands. And now we are here years later, and those um, quarters have still not been designated. Um, so there's definitely a disconnect, um, you know, at, at least at that level in politics in Wyoming, the governor is a rancher, um, you know, in terms of protecting these, these, uh, this wildlife, I, I think that's going to come to head someday, but it hasn't yet. Um, one of the problems I think we have in Wyoming, and this might be state or westwide is that instead of designating existing corridors, you know, recently the game and fish department decided to fund yet another study. It's like we're studying th these things to death and <laughs> we need to protect them. And uh, and the time for studying is, I think there's a point where you need to to take some moves to protect the, the resource. And we're not quite there in Wyoming. And that's an internal Wyoming issue. It has nothing to do with, you know, non-residents. That's, that's uh, Wyoming, you know, choosing industry over wildlife, essentially. Yeah. Do you think that the social media thing continues and gets worse or do you think it plateaus and and decreases because you know, i know it's a, it's a it's a factor right but i you can't see it social media influencers go ahead yeah go yeah yeah go ahead. i can't see like it's almost like you watch these hunting shows and they're on private land and if you're new to hunting you might have a false sense of what a Western hunt looks like. And then you go out there and say, if you're hunting public land, it might be, it, it's certainly going to be completely different. Do you think it's just like a, like a, like a bubble that's bound to break where people will just lose interest in it? Oh boy. There's a, there's a lot tied up in that. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, when I say lose interest in it, I'm talking about the people that see, you know, an influencer and say, damn, I want to do that now. I'm going to go out West or I'm going to, I'm going to start hunting. Those, those folks, not the people that are their father's hunts, you know, not those folks, but the people that are coming into it just solely off the influencers. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure we, uh, every year and I, I've got to do it here again is to put together our list of 
you know, the 20 biggest hunting self-promoters. And uh, last year, we did it two years ago, and then again last year. And between those two years, the ones you made the list the second time, all of their Instagram and Facebook numbers had increased. Um, so they were getting more subscribers um, over that time. I'm looking to see if that decreases at some time. Um, we do know that uh, I think it was last fall where Facebook actually saw the first time ever a decline in monthly users, um, but it's still a, a force to be out there. Um, so, um, and, and it seems that some of the, the social media movement just moves from platform to platform. So, you know, it moves from words to pictures, to Instagram, to YouTube, to videos and to TikTok or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure if there will be a, a decline in that if something will take take over for it. Um, my sense is is uh, my, there's lots there's lots of money and interest within the hunting industry to keep that going, and that going means uh, targeting eastern whitetail hunters to hunt out west. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you've got like BHA, backcountry hunters um, and anglers, you know, they, you know, they they have an interest in keeping that going because they're kind of headquartered in Bozeman, you know, and they got affiliates all across, you know, the country and, you know, they got partnerships with First Light and Meat Eater and everything else, right? And then, of course, you have, uh, you know, the, the media people like the Meat Eater and, um, Renilla, Stephen, and uh, you know his industry keeping it going, and then of course you have the uh, hunting clothing uh, companies, Sitka, you know QU, all of them. You know if you, it's really interesting if you look at the you know like the Facebook Sitka buy and sell page. How many, you know, how many worn one time triple XL Sitka jackets are for sale, right? <laughs> and you can just you know you. And you, and you watch the influencers and you can just see that they're, they're getting people, you know, from the East who've never been out West thinking they need $4,000 worth of, you know, Gore-Tex stuff to, you know, to, to pack in our pack to go hunting in, you know, September when it's 80 degrees outside. Um, so um, there's just a, a pretty big industry that is kind of built around keeping that wheel going, including the influencers who, I don't know if any of them makes a lot of money, but, um, you know, some of them are kind of doing it full time. So they're trying to make money doing it. There's a lot of interest in keeping all of that going. And it's not only, again, going back to nonprofits like Muley Fanatics, which is kind of a Wyoming base, they've got, you know, um, branches in the East. I mean, the Rocky Mountain Health Foundation, last time I checked, like the president of the board was from South Carolina. You know, so. Now, why why is Rocky Mountain, you know, why is that guy there? So well, they have chapters all over the country. And when, when I'm not knocking it, people are <laughs> but but anyway, I just think there's you know, there's quite this industry that is built up now. A lot of people get their salaries from keeping it going. I'm not I'm not knocking it. People are into hunting and and you know, we all want to get our fix in some way or the other with media intake, whether that's reading magazines, videos, whatnot. 
but there the problem is you know and this is a whole obviously this has been discussed at length uh on this podcast but it's it's there's no barrier to 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 entry you don't have to be uh an outdoor writer or a journalist to get something published anymore you don't have to be not a star but you just have a have to have a video camera and you got your own youtube channel and we've been inundated with with so many people doing this and they're trying to fill the fill the tags to keep the feed going you're right just that you know the whole um killing for content they need content one of the things from the the western resident hunter perspective is that as the influencers compete with each other they're all competing for eyes right and it's not like they're competing for the the veteran hunter eyes you know i don't watch any of that stuff um, yeah i don't think many veteran hunters people have been doing it for i watch it so they're competing for the new hunter the new hunter eyes and what they're giving away is experiences but also information love it gear information how to draw tag information I think there's going to be some point where they're going to start getting specific with location information. And uh, I think to be competitive, some of those guys are going to need to be doing that. Most of them are fairly careful about protecting where their videos are taken, um, especially if it's on public land. But some of them aren't. Um, you know, there's a reason that Region G is so well known, right? Um, because these guys are advertising where they're at. And so um, that's an issue. Yeah, and you have certain um, TV shows that specifically have highlighted Wyoming for years. Yeah, Wyoming-based TV shows like Eastman's Hunting, right? Um, yeah, they're um, they're definitely in that. I mean, you take a long Eastman's been around. You know, it's not going away. Eastman's been around for a long time. Yeah. Do you think that if there's any any bright spots in mule deer, and specifically in Wyoming? You know, I certainly I think that the decline the mule deer herd. I've always felt that in Wyoming, resident hunters are an untapped political force. You know, there are more resident hunters who live in towns. You know, we really don't have cities in Wyoming. Um, than any, you know influence or people who work on ranches or for oil and gas and stuff i mean there's just more of us out there and many of the people who do work in oil and gas industry you know hunt as well so what the decline in in uh in yield years has done i think or and the increase in, in hunting interest and honestly also the the increase in non-residents you know that we've had you know i've kind of led the the rebellion in Wyoming against or to get our tag allocation changed to emphasize resident hunters more. But other states are doing it too. There's you know big push in Colorado now. Montana has done it. Idaho's tightened things up. And I think Montana Idaho just went away from you know over-the-counter tag. That's one of the things that we proposed uh, for non-residents, over-the-counter tag for non-residents um, in, in, in the West. And uh and I think now there's going to be um, a push towards more emphasis on on protecting these herds and 
and uh, and that's coming from very conservative people. You know, I'm a I'm a lifelong Republican, and the older I get, the more green I get, especially when it comes to protecting these deer, these uh, big game herds. And I think that's a good thing. And uh, you know, we're we are spending a lot of money in Wyoming right now via the Game and Fish Department, and this is taxpayers' money to study um mule deer in some ways protect them and i think that's uh, that's definitely a, a healthy change um from an environmental perspective for sure uh, and so there there is i think some kind of silver lining if we can get these herd numbers back up but um that those changes are being made the way you can kind of follow power politics is how money is spent and uh, when you start spending money to you know to, uh, to study and 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 uh, we're, we're spending money putting in very expensive wildlife crossing or uh, highway crossings for mule deer and, and uh, pronghorn for the migrations. Um, it's one way to show that political power is shifting and it's definitely shifting um, towards uh, towards these herds. And it's, it's not being driven by the environmental groups in Wyoming. It's being driven by the hunters. That's what we need. And we need to stop shooting does. <laughs> yeah. Did uh, did we not cover something, or do you, do you have anything else that we you wanted to any impacts that we haven't left out, or any any thoughts on where this is heading? Yeah, I get. I guess just finally that this decline in mule deer numbers is somewhat of a mystery. Um, you know, Wyoming's population isn't up significantly. That the one change there has been recently in recent years, and this would be the past 20 years, is um and gas development across the state, natural gas in um especially um in in Silva County, it was right there in the, the winter ranges. Uh, but there are some restrictions on it now. But other than that, um, you know, nothing else has really changed that significantly. We've always had hard winters. We kind of, I guess, the other the other significant change is, is the long term drought that we seem to be experiencing um, in different sections of the state. But we have a big winter this year, so there is somewhat of a mystery, I think, about why these mule deer um, are are declining. And we just had a die off of pronghorn actually in Wyoming, like three hundred were just killed by some kind of mysterious disease. Um, and so we're kind of losing these herds for some for some reason, and I'm not too sure the game of fish knows why. So they're kind of trying to study all this different stuff. So that is, that is a concern, you know, why are these, why are these deer, we just can't put our finger on it to fix it right now. There's like one cause, uh, but we do know the numbers are declining again, you know, we're, you know, we're 40% below our population objective right now. And only one herd unit is above population objective. Our deer are in trouble in Wyoming and it's getting worse. So that that's a problem for us for sure, and, and especially across the West, and that's something that's gonna impact all hunters for sure. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impactful uh numbers right there. 40%. That's yeah, that's that'll make you that'll keep you up at night. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, Rob, I appreciate you coming on um and and talking mule deer, and um we'll definitely talk soon. Thanks again, Rob. Okay, take care.